today I want to uh, look at the subject of faith, and um, I'm going to be in different uh, passages of Scripture, three different ones. Um, the first one is uh, Matthew 15, uh, 21 through 28, and um, I will uh, just put that in the chat here, um, and uh, then we'll we'll go to the next one after that. But uh, the faith, uh, looking at it through the lens of three women in the Gospels, and uh, prior to, to reading those accounts, uh, just consider that faith is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and it's an instrument, faith is an instrument for receiving good things from God, and some examples of that would be a cup. Um, I mean, as a receiving instrument is an example of a receiving instrument. A cup is an instrument for drinking and for receiving uh, water or from some liquid. Um, if I wanted to receive money uh, from someone uh, to transfer it into my account, then the wire transfer mechanism is the instrument by which I would receive that into my account. Um, if uh, there was a feeding tube by which a person needed to have that in order to get nourishment because they couldn't eat uh, food the normal way, then that feeding tube is a, an instrument for receiving the nourishment. And so in that same way, faith is an instrument given to us by God, uh, much like a hand that reaches out to receive something. And by faith, we're reaching out to take hold of Christ and plead with him for mercy with the confidence that we will receive the mercy. And that's what we see in each of these three women. Uh, the first um, being the woman who was a Canaanite uh, from the Syrophoenician area. And so I pick up in Matthew 15, verse 21, uh, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So that remarkable example there of that woman is about faith. What we see in her is what faith looks like. And she did not get any encouragement whatsoever. Um, she is from a race of people that was supposed to be exterminated in the Old Testament and survived. And uh, she gets no encouragement from the disciples. Uh, they want her to go away and she's continuing to shout at them. So this sounds like it went on longer than the text, you know, uh, the text condenses it. But uh, for those things to have happened, this must have been a little longer incident than the way it might sound upon a cursory reading. 
Jesus gave her no encouragement. Um, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And whether he said that to the disciples or her, that she would have gotten the message, it's not for you. And she does not quit. She, she falls down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So she's now been insulted. And it's really kind of the, the third no in many ways. And she is not deterred by that. And she says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs from under the master's table. And then he comments on her faith. A woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Then if we go over to Luke 7, 36 through 50, this is the account of the woman who was a sinner, Luke 7, 36 through 50. And I won't read the whole passage. I'll read a few verses and then jump down to 48. Uh, but, you know, this means that she's a prostitute. So she makes a living by selling her body and uh, out to men. She's promiscuous. Uh, she's loose. And this is the woman that comes to this house, uh, to a Pharisee's house. And of course, she was not invited. Uh, she heard that he was there. And the Pharisee, by his attitude toward her, we know full well that he didn't invite her there uh, to join him. So there's a, a bit of nerve that she, she worked up to walk into a house at which she was not welcome and to come right over to do to Jesus and to do what she did. So in verse 36, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. So you see a humility there for her to be able to weep like that in public in a house where she's not welcome and is being scorned. And yet she is unreservedly um, emotional before him. Then looking down at verse 48, at the end, we know, you know, in the meantime, he comments on this to himself. He's saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and he wouldn't allow her to be touching him. Um, and Jesus rebukes him and says, she loved much and she's forgiven much. Uh, she's done all this for me and you've done nothing. And so he rebukes the Pharisee. And then in verse 48, he says to the woman, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, when he says your faith has saved you, he obviously doesn't mean that uh, it's self-salvation, that she has this thing called faith and it's her own savior, and that Jesus didn't save her or that Jesus didn't forgive her, uh, that she did something herself. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying the gift of faith has been giving, given to you. You have it to reach out to me. You have laid hold of me the instrument by which one must be saved, you have it and it has saved you. Go in peace. Then in Mark 5, 24 to 34, we have the woman who was uh, had a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. 
uh, Mark 5, 24 through 34. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Again, this woman would have had some serious obstacles to overcome. Number one, with a constant blood flow, she is unclean and she's not supposed to be touching people. And so she's going to have to sort of break the rules here. Um, she's going to go out in a crowd of people and be touching all kinds of people. It would have been um, nigh impossible for her to work her way through the crowd to get to Jesus without touching anybody. And so she has to press her way through. And she has to be a bit aggressive, too. And as a woman, that might be even more awkward for her. But she she's going to get there and she's going to press through, which means she's probably doing what people do when they butt in line. They're pushing and uh, <laughs> elbowing and shouldering and maneuvering their way through and forcing their way through small cracks between people and pressing ahead to make uh, the other people get out of their way. Um, the crowd was enormous. Everybody's pressing in on him. There would have been no way she could have got up there to the front otherwise. And so she's doing those things, and then she reaches out and takes the risk to touch his robe. And uh, so an amazing, uh, each of these stories, amazing uh, portrait of faith. And there were common elements that we see with each of them. You see humility with each of these women. Uh, the woman who was the Canaanite was... Uh, insulted and she was denied and, and essentially rejected um and yet she did not turn away she did not get offended and go off in a huff um the woman with the blood flow um we see her humble and her attitude of falling before before christ we see the woman who was the sinner the sinful woman who was wiping jesus's feet with her hair you know the hair according to 1 Corinthians 11, is the glory of the woman. And she's taking her glory and wiping his feet with it. And the, the feet are the, you know, the, the unseemly parts uh, covered with dust and dirt. And so she's taking her glory and wiping his feet with it. And so we see that humility in all of them. We also see that there is this conviction that there is no one else to go to. Uh, there is no one else to beg and beseech but Jesus. Each of them knew 
he was the one, that there is no other name by which they could receive mercy except him. There was a persevering determination that was not deterred by unfavorable signs and signals um, and uh, unwelcoming body language and all kinds of things that they had to fight through and over and past to get what they were after. Uh, along with that, of course, there would have to be confidence. They're not going to do this. They're not going to humiliate themselves in this way if they did not believe there was reason for hope, if they did not believe that Jesus would have mercy on them. They think of this Canaanite woman, and in particular, who is not even of the land of Israel, and she hears that Jesus is nearby and she knows enough about him and what she has heard about him to know that she's got a chance. She has, there, there's reason for her to try this, uh, to go and beseech him like this. And so when we think about praying for revival, I think there's an, an application there. Um, we are, uh, have, thankfully receive the gift of salvation. We're not coming to the Lord uh, for him to save us because he's already done so. But we are coming to him for mercy. We are pleading uh, with him for the life that we need personally and the life that our churches need and the life that is needed in our nation. And there needs to be these elements in faith. There needs to be humility. In doing so, there needs to be this sense of which we're not coming in our own merits. We're not coming because we're good. We're coming because we have a great need. Uh, there needs to be this conviction that there's no one else to talk to about it. There's no one else. There's nowhere else to go. And then there needs to be this determination that is not deterred by unfavorable signs and a confidence that we'll, we'll receive what we're after. You know, after you've done prayer meetings for a long time, as we have, it's easy to quit. Um, and if there is no faith, eventually it, it won't, it can't sustain itself uh, because then it's just in the flesh. Or, you, you know, you have to whip people into it uh, by guilt. And, um, and that's not been done. Um, you know, that are Stephen and, and Rick and they, they have not done that at all um and it but faith is what's required faith is what is necessary that we would believe that we're not wasting our time that he is the one to go to and that going to him is not in vain